Hi everyone, I'm Kara Scott and welcome to the Heart of Poker sponsored by 888 Poker, a podcast that looks into the personal side of the poker personalities that we often see on our screens. I use a modified list of the questions from the 36 questions to fall in love study developed about 25 years ago by psychologists as part of an experiment to see if they could make total strangers fall in love with a kind of shortcut for getting to know someone on a deeper level fast. Now my guest this time is of course a poker player and she famously won a tournament to play heads up in a match against Dan Bilzerian in Las Vegas and he seems to have backed out on that. Alex O'Brien is a science writer, a huge poker enthusiast and a friend of mine and also the author of a fantastic book called The Truth Detective, which is coming out later this year. Now, this book is a really fascinating dive into the lessons that poker can teach us about living in a post-truth world and how to use our poker skills to navigate the conflicting information that the world is presenting to us. So it's a super interesting topic and a really timely one and one that I think really does get right to the heart of poker and of life. So thank you so much for coming on, Alex. Hey, Kara. Really lovely to be here. I'm kind of nervous now. I wasn't nervous, but now I'm nervous. Ah. I mean, I loved, I, I, I love your podcast so much. And, I've, um, and then being asked to come on was like, yes, of course. But now I'm like, oh, hang on a second. We're going to get really deep here. <laughs> it's just literally dawned on me as you were doing the intro. So, um, yeah, I am nervously excited to be here. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it is absolutely my pleasure. And I was very lucky in that I got to read your book early and it is so great. And now I am kind of famously not good at being critical of my friends, (laughs) but this is actually really, really good. And I just, I read it as quickly as I could. And it, it's such a, as, as books go, this one is entertaining, it's incredibly informative, and I do think it is like the perfect time for this particular book to be written, to be published. So what is it about the subject of truth that you really wanted to dig into? Why this? Oh, first of all, thank you for the plug. My goodness. I'm going <laughs> to take you to the book tour with me. I'm like, just, nice. just card as the intros from now on. Um, thank you. And thank you for um, reading the book. Um and your great feedback, uh, it means the world to me because obviously this is not a book on, on how to play poker or how to, you know, it doesn't teach you anything about how to um, get a table with it. It's more about how to think like a poker player. Mm. And I think it's more and more imperative in this day and age in which misinformation and disinformation is becoming a huge part of our everyday information flow mm-hmm. that we have to wade through. Um, and I'm saying we have to because it's becoming increasingly difficult to distinguish between what is truth, mm. what is truthful, what is factual, and what is uh, generated to manipulate us into thinking in a certain way, right? Um, right. And in the age, in this age in which we are all somewhat broadcasters and um, news agents in some way, because we share, we opine publicly um, so much on, on different platforms, that we have a responsibility mm. to uh, make sure that that what we share and that what we say is actually factual and truthful, yeah. because it can direct us to you know think 
um, that something is not the way it should be or it, that something is, uh, I don't know. <sighs> See, I should have prepped this better. No, <laughs> no. Really, the book is not out for four months, so publicity tour hasn't, uh, uh, <laughs> hasn't started yet. You're really getting me at the rawest possible stage, but it's really a, a, um, a big subject. I mean, I, I've read this book primarily for my daughter. She's seven and yeah. a half years old. I look at her and I look at the world and like, how can I protect you? Mm. And that is, as you know, every parent's major fear. Yeah. We look at our children and we look at the world and how dangerous and treacherous it can be. Mm. And I, I want to make sure I give it a right set of tools to go out there yeah. and be safe. And then I no longer am there to hold her hand as she's crossing the roads, yeah. any roads in life, right? So that is really the main uh, impetus for this book. Mm. It came from what can I do to help her um, sort of walk through the jungle of life and still have an adventure, but make sure she does it safely and with her eyes wide open and she's not duped into uh, or manipulated into um, a different path that she shouldn't go down. So yeah. yeah, really, that would be my answer to that. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that you wrote in the book that I, I don't know, like I wrote it down <laughs> and mm -hmm. I look at it every once in a while too. And you say, our quality of life depends upon our quality of thought. Mm -hmm. And that is so incredibly important. And I think about for me when I was growing up and when I was in high school in Canada, we did classes on media literacy, which I mean, clearly is a long time ago and completely useless right now. But I just, I wish that there was some sort of for every kid at that age and even younger, because you're right, kids are really getting um, exposed to so much information, so much younger than we were. There's just so much more out there, constant data streams coming at us from kind of all sides. And I, I want kids to be able to have those kinds of lessons and how to be able to parse what is good mm -hmm. information, what is bad information, what is outright lies, what is just trying to manipulate you by using some truths and some things that might be true, but nobody really knows. And, and who do you listen to? And I love that your book kind of goes into all of those things. It's like, who do we listen to? Who do we trust instinctively? And can we trust that instinct? And that for me was like such a key part of it. Like our brains automatically want to trust people that are kind of like us. And that's just an unfortunate truth. And so we are more likely to, to listen to what people who are kind of like us say about mm -hmm. things. And we need to be so much more savvy and more willing to kind of break outside of whatever echo chambers we might find ourselves in because we're all in those to some extent because of algorithms and all of that. And I, I don't know. I just feel like I, I want kids and adults, quite frankly, <laughs> to have... Yeah some kind of training and like what would be one of the most important things to impart to teach when talking about media literacy and who to trust and where mm -hmm. to find truth mm -hmm. it's asking the right questions right mm. um it is all about asking the right questions it's like a series of uh, a checklist that you go through in your head um that you know what is the information? Where does it come from? Mm. Why am I being told that? Why yeah. now? And can I cross-check the veracity of it? You mm. know, 
um, the Pope endorsing Trump, for example, or Trump, <laughs> you know, that was one thing. Or uh, in, in now with AI-generated yeah. imagery and AI-generated um, news, um, it's going to become uh, harder to to sort of interrogate that information. But the yeah. questions, the list of questions that you need to go through are the same. You yeah. go through that you doing already much better than the majority of people who consume information without thinking, right? you know, or share it without. And sometimes people also share, like, they want it to be true. You know, yeah. they want, want it to be true that um, perhaps we saw AI generate the image of Trump in handcuffs in an orange suit. Right. Hmm. You, some people really <laughs> like that. So they they're might. like, yeah, this is what I want to see. <laughs> so, um, but, but it, I, keep coming back to that thing. It is our responsibility yeah. to be interrogators. It's our responsibility to be truth detectors. We yeah. can no longer just um, cast the, the, that to uh, news outlets mm. or journalists. Not when you are then also standing amongst them and saying, here's some news, please look at it and like it and share it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, absolutely um, agree with you on that. There's such a loss of innocence, I think, in that, like mm. in realizing that there is, there are no other adults, like there, there is no layer of adults who have everyone's best interest at heart and who are um, able to be unbiased. I mean, growing up, the idea of reading something in a newspaper or seeing it on the nightly news was that it was true. Like there was no question in my mind unless they had been mistaken. There was mm -hmm. no idea that someone was trying to sell me things. And I mean, I was pretty naive, obviously, because even back then that was true. But it's true to such a bigger extent now. And there's so much more research being done on how mm -hmm. to you know, push people as consumers of information and just consumers in general into buying things that, mm -hmm. you know, can make people money and that sort of thing. And there is such a loss of innocence in that and realizing mm -hmm. that everybody are just people. <laughs> there, mm -hmm. there are no I, adults coming to save us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there are not adults in the room anymore. Um, <laughs> but but I, I think without sort of harping on too much about the book, there were, there, I have given examples of how in every stage in history, people believe that it's the worst time in right. history because we're so polarized. So there's this perception of um, we live in the worst era of uh, living memory persists in every sort of historical moment in time. But also the idea that misinformation is a construct of technology is mm. false. Also, mm -hmm. there is a historical example in the book that talks about um, a political scenario where misinformation sort of lost the um, Labour, the um, uh, uh, number 10, basically. And right, um, yeah. I don't want to go into it. It's a great story. I researched it mm -hmm. for weeks in the British Library. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to uh, sort of uh, divulge the um, contents of it too much. But it's a really cool story. And it just shows that um, although we feel like there's so much misinformation at the moment, it's just that we are more aware of it. So right. just because we weren't as aware doesn't mean it didn't happen yeah um yeah so uh it, it, it's it's more difficult but we're not helpless you know we yeah. have tools at our disposal and that is what this book is trying to help you with as well it's trying to point you at look here are all the pitfalls mm -hmm. to look out for and he he's sort of um misinformation disinformation avoiding 
techniques or, or sort of maybe mm. uh, mitigating uh, skills that you could use to, to become a little bit more uh, less prone to be misguided, mis- mm-hmm. misled, manipulated, whatever else it is that people would empower mostly and people, those um, with lots of money, try <laughs> to make you believe about what the world is really like or in what the world should be like. Yeah. It's interesting because you've done, like you say, there's that story about the British government that, yeah, we definitely don't want to kind of divulge the meat of those stories because they're really good. And you must have spent an enormous amount of time researching and also doing, you know, first person interviews with scientists, with educators. Like this is a very scientific book. And Mm -hmm. I love that about it because for me that is, well, yeah, it's like, okay, so you're telling me all this stuff but I want to know why, like Mm -hmm. there better be some kind of scientific basis to it because otherwise we are, I don't know, we might as well be doing astrology. And, (laughs) and I love that there is so much science in this book and it's so accessible and you talk about it as a poker player. So, okay. Uh, have you found a lot of kind of like-minded truth detective type people in the poker community? Hmm. I, I would say yes. Um, mm. Maybe, maybe you know, the poker community doesn't think, or people, individuals within it, don't think about themselves as truth detectives. But essentially, what they're doing is exactly that, right? They try to interrogate the information, the scenarios in front of them, mm. and if and away from the table, they interrogate place you know to try to figure it all out and this is exactly what they're doing and on a on a grander scheme like sort of if we sort of pan out from the poker tables even wider I found especially the um I want to say the younger generation the newer breed of poker players is an exceptionally cerebral lot of people I have not come across uh, any of the young players especially they are incredibly smart and very driven and very um, studious and they have good solid opinions about other things outside the poker world they're not always right of course because that's Mm -hmm. what makes us human you know we what makes life beautiful is that we are also different yes um but yeah I definitely see um poker players as and this is this kind of makes me a little sad because, you know, there's that misperception about poker uh, from the non-poker playing audience that it's just gambling and right. you need to be really good at bluffing. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> it's so far away from that. Um, and it's it, it's and, and and I think this is what the Shrift Detective does really well is it it taps into two audiences. It for the mm. poker players it legitimizes the game because it you know, showcases it as a highly strategic, um, cerebral puzzle game yes. that sort of challenges you on a, a number of uh, levels and um, sort of it's multidimensional. And then uh, for the non-poker players, it's it's like this aha moment. So this is what it's about. Oh, hang on a second. Mm-hmm. I thought it was about a poker face. I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's really it's it's sort of it, it does two things in one. I'm I'm kind of chuffed that I kind of figured it out how to, but it's purely came through the passion for both fields. I love poker and I'm 
you know, I'm obsessed with knowing things and how our world works and that's what <laughs> science gives me. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the reason that you and I know each other is poker and I'm really grateful for that. We met, oh, I don't know how many years ago, many, many years ago <laughs> yes. at a poker tournament. I'm guessing it was in London. Um, mm-hmm. I just I remember always remember the, the tables. I remember the tables and I have no idea which casino they were in. So <laughs> I remember, I remember what I was you wearing did. actually. I was wearing wow. an Alice Templey dress, like a cocktail dress because I made day two. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> big it meant for me. You know, it was like my early days in poker and I had known about you because I'd known, I, I would look up at all the female players in poker and go, wow, there oh. is a woman that is crushing the game, yeah. right? And and then I sat down for day two, dressed up because I made day two. It was a big deal. Right. <laughs> and then you sat down, I'm like, holy shit, oh my God, Carl's got the team next to me. <laughs> I was like so starstruck. It was, uh, it oh was a big gosh. moment. I will never, I mean, like, clear, it's as clear as day in my mind still that moment. It was fun. And then you were so nice. I'm like, oh my God. Well, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's yeah, so dude. funny. That's so funny. I just remember being like, oh, this is so nice. We can have this nice chat. I'm like talking to this really nice person who also likes poker. And wow, look at that dress. <laughs> like, oh, that's nice. awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I also remember what we talked about. And we we, we, we t- totally disrupted the sort of, oh, you know, game. I see that. Like, we were talking children and oh my yeah. motherhood and husbands. And yeah. as we were playing, I mean, the looks we were getting, it was <laughs> Oh my gosh. I was fun. Yeah. It was fun. It was super mm. fun. And then we've just kind of been able to meet up whenever, you know, at different poker tournaments and, and that sort of thing. And then we got to be close friends, I would say, really over mm. kind of like all the lockdowns when everybody was just online and we were all living our lives like that. And, you know, lots of back and forth and like, how are you dealing with this? And how are you dealing with that? And, and I was really grateful for that. So thank you. I am Me grateful too. for our friendship. Yeah. Me too. Hugely grateful. Yeah. I love how the universe sort of just gives you what you need. And mm. it clearly brought you closer to into my orbit. And uh, yeah, again, I'm very grateful. Aww. Well, I think you've found yourself playing more and more and more poker kind of since the, well, since we met, right? Would you say that mm-hmm. that's, yeah, like you've just done so much, inc- including like the study that you've put into your game. Like this is no kind of dilettante sort of like, <laughs> but, and there's nothing wrong with that either. Cause that's kind of what I do with poker. But I mean, you actually are putting, you're putting in the heavy work. I, I try to, um, I mean, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm heading out to Vegas for the World Series now. I, I've not been able to put as much study time as I would like because yeah. I still have a, a, a day job and I do <laughs> a lot of uh, uh, stuff that goes under the radar. So in, in, in addition to my writing, you know, um, the vice chair of the Association of British Science Writers, we yes. run events for them. And I love that work because it gives back. Mm. And um, but it's, you know, it's volunteer work and but it sucks out the hours. And mm-hmm. um, uh I feel poker is always going to be part of my life. Like it's just uh, a game I'm passionately in love with. Yeah. But writing will always take uh, precedent at this moment in time. After yeah. again in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> ask you again if you win a, a bracelet or something, and then then we'll see a different story. But. <laughs> Are you predicting? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to, you know, put that out there. But just in case, I mean, it wouldn't bother uh, me to have you in front of my microphone um, at all. I'd be quite happy to interview you. So. Oh my god, I like shiny things. So yeah, oh, let's make yeah. it happen. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm going to start with a few of our questions that are from the mm-hmm. study, and we can keep talking a bit about truth as well and the pursuit of truth. But also, mm-hmm. yeah, let's start with something a little bit kind of more easy. For what in your life do you feel the most grateful? Mm. This is a lovely question, uh, and I think I'm, I'm going to have a boring answer to this. Uh, uh, I, I'm most grateful for my family, um, yeah. I, and I, I tell you why because. I I love my husband and my daughter so much and I look at them, you know, especially in moments when we Friday Friday night is movie night, we hop on the couch and watch movies nice. together and I often just glance over and go, I just want to stretch time right yeah. now because I know it's not going to last. Yeah. And but I look at them and because they they sort of anchor me in time and space and they give me purpose. And the love of, I have for them is oh. is just kind of so overwhelming at times mm. that I feel that is what I'm most grateful for because we're happy and we're happiest when we're together. So yeah. yeah, yeah. And like you were saying before, how writing the Truth Detective, a lot of that was for your daughter. Mm. You know, that is such a. I mean, what a way to focus <laughs> <laughs> what is important in your life, really. When you kind of yeah. see it through the eyes of, of your kid, it's, yeah, it really does make things mm. different. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you could wake up tomorrow and you gained an ability, any quality or ability, what mm-hmm. would it be? Oh. Would it be to be able question. to tell the truth? Because, I mean, <laughs> I feel like that would be a given. <laughs> oh. oh, well, we've seen from, what was that movie with, um, uh, oh, God, that comedian who, who couldn't, who ended up not being able to tell a oh, lie. Oh, yeah, the Jim Carrey movie. Yeah. Liar, uh, Liar no. with, mm. Je- with Jennifer Tilly. Yeah, oh, of course, yes, with Jennifer Tilly. Yep. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I don't know if I, you know, because there's also, part, you know, I also talk in the book, sorry, the book covers a lot. Yeah. Um, we also talk about how some lies are actually okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wouldn't be that. I mean, when we say quality or ability, are we talking... Marvel heroes, superpowers. You could. Oh, I will accept that. I will accept superhero uh, qualities. Do? Absolutely. Well, you know, I'm I, I'm like a huge Marvel fan. Yeah. Um, but um, the 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 one sort of superhero I really uh love, and I do, I think I love him the most is Iron Man. Not because, oh. because he's he's the one superhero that hasn't got like this sort of um, superpower within his biological body. He has an exoskeleton that he builds. Yeah. And he's built that because he has this big brain Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, and is an amazing scientist. And he's just so clever. I mean, if I had anything, I had like a a wish to to get any ability is his brain because he used his brain to find himself out of a, um, a cave. I yeah. know well, this is fiction, but you know, we this is all fictional in a way. So, <laughs> uh, so if it was, I would want to be 
a lot smarter. Right. Um, so, I mean, I always oh, like yeah. tinker around the house. Like I'm the one with the toolbox, you know, yep. something goes wrong in the house. My husband <laughs> will say, okay, I'll take care of Ava. Can you just put this together or fix that? You know, <laughs> we, we, like, agreed. <laughs> we agreed that I'm the one with the toolbox. So, oh, um, but I, I, I would love to be able to sort of like, you know, build things and, yeah. and mechanically engineer stuff that, um, you know, I don't know. I'm just I'm fascinated, but um, I never really got into that. Um, also, because mm. you know, growing up, I I, I uh, was led to believe that I wasn't smart enough for science, so right. I never got in. Oh I gosh. got into science. Yeah, <laughs> welcome to the educational system. Um, we could have a whole session on that. Seriously. Um, yeah. Um, but you know, science. I found science. Science found me, and I'm still glad that I I, I can you know, that this can be my day job. Um, yeah. So yeah, Iron Man in, 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 a, in a fictional, fantastical world, wow. that would be it. <laughs> I love that answer because part of me kind of did wonder if you would say, well, the ability to tell truth from falsehood. But I just feel like that is a recipe for a deeply unhappy life because just mm. because you can tell what is the truth doesn't mean that anybody else is going to believe you. Yeah. Nobody likes a Cassandra. So um, that's just like... <laughs> I think it also would make him miserable. Miserable, um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. All right. Here's one that's kind of related and mm -hmm. also on the theme of truth. If mm -hmm. a crystal ball could tell you the truth about yourself, your life, the future, anything at all, even mm. the past, something mm. that has happened or will happen, what would you want to know? Oh, my God. I would walk straight past it. I, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is not the answer you may be looking for, but uh, I like. I, I often thought about sort of what if, but yep. I, I genuinely don't want to know. Right. I, 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 I definitely don't want to know anything in the future because I love the uncertainty yeah. of life. I love that I wake up in the morning. I have no idea where my day will take me. Although sometimes I, I already know too much of it and I'm like oh my god really um <laughs> but um oftentimes you know if you had asked me five years ago where I you know could imagine myself being I would have never thought this is where where I would be mm -hmm. like having written a book <laughs> being a poker personality I mean this, still, <laughs> this still sounds a bit weird to me but I mean I am just so <laughs> grateful that you know, the poker community has welcomed me so much. Um, and I hope I can honor them with this book. But, you know, this this is like all a little bit surreal, but also really, really exciting because yeah. that is the beauty, I feel. That is the beauty of life mm. that we don't know where life will take us. It's an adventure. And I, with all its faults, with all its dangers, with all its heartache, I would want to take it on any day without a crystal ball. Yeah. I yeah. think that's really smart, honestly. And again, it's about, yeah, quality of life. Even if we knew the one kind of choice that we could make one way or the other to make things in our life better, who's to say that knowing that wouldn't just mess it up anyways? Mm. Like that kind of pressure is, it's a bit much. Yeah. And much. you know, like talking about like fantasy movies where like time travel, yeah. like people like mess with like an instance in the past and then it has this cascading effect into other, like 
there's a, a natural flow of things. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, for a science writer to talk about social <laughs> things, it's like I, I, I realize a little paradox here. But <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that I, I truly believe that there's a natural flow of yeah. things, the way things are supposed to be. And if you are putting energy and effort into certain things, yes, I, I, I might be dying of cancer you know i don't know let's not be too morbid about it but <laughs> things might happen not might not go my way right but uh, i there is not much i can do about it other than sort of continue to live life the fullest i guess yeah, oh this is such a cliche way to speak <laughs> no i think you're right and when you say that like if we look at science fiction movies and books where we talk about that whole like the butterfly effect of a butterfly flaps its wings and and everything changes that mm. is literally what we're doing every single day in the moment mm. we are making those tiny choices and make and it changes everything like the path yeah. of the world is just incredibly complex and we're literally living out that. And yeah, and that's a beautiful thing. Like yeah. making and I, and those that, choices is beautiful. Absolutely. And I often marvel at like certain inflection points in my life that mm. make certain moments that have been absolute, they snowballed. We talk about butterfly effect, but these snowballed into yeah. things that I could have never imagined. So I feel incredibly lucky. But um you know, something that is completely unexpected will come your way. And mm. I, I think I will take that trade off any day, like crystal ball. Yeah, I'd, I might even smash it on my way past <laughs> it or something, you know. Dangerous <laughs> information. We don't yeah. need it. Yeah. Don't want it. <laughs> no, thank you. Okay, well, up to this point, what would you say is your greatest accomplishment? What feels like that that thing that you would point to and say, yeah, that was good. I did that. <laughs> it's a hard one for for I would say British people especially because it's when I moved from Canada to England Mm -hmm. I realized and I know you're not British but you have lived there for a long time Mm -hmm. um so it's like it's the idea of kind of tooting your own horn and how Mm -hmm. vulgar that is considered (laughs) so go ahead I'm forcing you to do it what is the thing (laughs) toot away oh oh this is um yeah, I find that difficult too. Um, right. Um, but I guess the way I want would like to answer it is by sort of looking at it from a bird's eye view. Okay. Um, what and, and like an overall of my life. Because if you ask me in different stages of my life, of course the answer would be different. Because, of course. Yeah. Um, but I think I I the the, the I guess define the odds, so poker, poker lingo a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's um, I often have in number of moments in life and stages in life I have done or decided to do things um, against the odds, hmm. and mostly perhaps for a combination of naivety, fearlessness, and maybe also stubbornness. <laughs> um, <laughs> Like, uh, tell me something you ca- I can't do. I will go ahead and do it because yeah. I'm too passionate about it. Um, I quit my job as a creative director uh, in a design industry of uh, now 10, 11 years ago. I can't mm. remember how exact moment was, but um, to to do something completely different, to write full time. Now, the, when you take writing courses and start writing, this is a, another creative art 
environment that is so um, competitive because a lot of people want to write, a lot of people want to be published, and coming in in your like early 30s to try a new career with no experience mm-hmm. really um and then being told you won't make it you won't make any money yeah <laughs> we're like okay fine but then I you know I had an incredibly I still have an incredibly supportive husband who said no 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 matter what happens I've got you go That's for it amazing. You know? yeah and that to, to have that, to sort of go into something and go that have it, that security, that confidence. Mm. Um, yeah, I think I think my greatest moment was to defy the odds to get a book deal with no social media profile. I mean, I got this book deal when I had no media presence whatsoever um, in the last five six years. That kind of changed drastically. Um, maybe yeah, to sort of defying the odds at various stages of my life and mm. you know one of those moments was to come to London at the age of 19 against the will of my parents oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah that, um, <laughs> you know I, I um, got a scholarship here in London and um, the, the, I already had a place at a university in Munich to study economics and languages um, but then I got this and and they wanted me to be a diplomat, a doctor of some sort, you know, uh-huh. languages and what yeah. have you. And studying design was just not oh, I can imagine. something that they like, what you you want to do what? <laughs> uh, and then uh, and then basically what they said is how oh, if you decide to do that, you're on your own. And I went, Okay. Wow. Fine. So I basically worked five days a, a week and studied and sort of found a job uh, at night and on weekends to pay for my studies and, you know, my life here. Um, yeah. And sort of, I'm not saying this is my greatest accomplishment because I went against my parents. It's a pretty big of, one. I mean, it sounds <laughs> like, like it. That takes a lot of strength. That takes a yeah. lot of internal strength. So I guess. I don't know. I'm like, it does to back one. yourself. That's, a, that's yeah. a big deal. Yeah. I mean, again, stubbornness, right? And, yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, 19-year-old self, I mean, if I had looked at myself then and I'm like, dude, what are the hell doing? Yeah. You know, but again, it was a decision that led me ultimately to be here, to be writing, to be playing poker. Mm. I don't know if I would be doing this if I was some sort of um, doctor of uh, economics somewhere. Right. Traveling the world for the EU because that was the goal. (laughs) Oh, my God. So different. Can you imagine? Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. Anyway, wow. so that that happened or didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Man, is there anything that you haven't done that you want to do either right now or in the past, like a, a choice you didn't make or something that you look forward to doing? What's kind of that elusive thing? <sighs> I, I don't look back. I don't like looking back. True. Yeah. That is something that you know. I, I regret is not a positive in life at any point so I try not to do that um looking forward um the one thing that Jeff and I my husband and I the way we connected um uh was for the passion for books and our Mm. love for books right I I think in in future what we like to do is maybe own a bookstore 
with like a secret um, uh, sort of prohibition style oh, yes. uh, cocktail bar behind, um, you know, the Odyssey or something, you know, you pull it off oh, the shelf yes. and door opens, something like that. I mean, we'd be really happy surrounded by books every day and just reading. And cocktails. Oh and my God. Cocktails. It's like two of my favorite things. <laughs> books and cocktails and books secrets, and cocktails. secret passages. Come on. Mm. That's like the three... That's like that's a trinity right there. I would. Yeah. Ex- oh, great! You're very welcome. Thank I mean, you. all our friends. If we never sell a single book, but just have friends come and hang out, uh-huh. yeah, I think that that would be that would be something that in in the sort of future when we've yeah. done the things that we've wanted to do, that would be something that we both sort of mused about it, and mm. oh, this would be pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, I love that as a, yeah, as someday in the future next step. That sounds so Mm -hmm. fun. And I know you have like a ton of friends from lots of different parts of your life because, you know, writing and science and, and I'm sure design and poker, obviously. So what, what do you value most in a friendship with all of the different and disparate kinds of people that you've drawn to yourself? Hmm. Oh, maybe. These are really big questions, Cara. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Um, Oh my goodness um uh, uh okay um or even this uh, one like do you think that a lot of the people that become you become friends with have something kind of as a quality in common that is important to you mm. so I have two thoughts that mm. come to mind with that um I feel friendship is like the term is not a one model thing mm. it should, I mean to me it shouldn't be a one model um, uh, term because yes. I think friendship can be quite fluid and friendship can mean different things to different people and within uh, your own circle it could mean to you different things yeah. uh, you know it you'll as you know you'll have a friend that you'll call at any time and then you'll have mm-hmm. friends that you don't speak to for a while um, I, and also it's sort of I guess what friendship means to me is that I'm. I can be the person I am now mm. without that they accept me for who I am and yeah. love me for that. But at the same time, that they're not afraid to challenge me and call my bullshit out. Oh, I right? love that. Yes. That that they that they that they hold me responsible or tell me off and and make sure that they they keep me on track. Um, yeah. So that's what I value. I guess that's what I value in my friendships the most, because I think it's really important to have the ability to flourish within uh, relationships, mm-hmm. uh, not be afraid of who you are or pretend to be somebody that you're not or don't want to be. Yeah. But at the same time that you allow each person that or each person has the freedom to come out and say, I'll shut the fuck up. You know? Yes. Yes. Um, oh my god! I think my daughter will be listening to this. So <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. Mommy's use the f word. I mean, she's heard it often enough. <laughs> we have been watching the Marvel movies. Oh uh, so, yes. You know, she's heard it once um, or twice. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so yeah, um, I think that's that's what it really means because yeah, I, I, I'm I'm a very big believer in supporting, especially my friends. Um, you know, and lifting them up and and championing them at yeah. every uh, possible opportunity I can get. At yes. the same time, I, I, I'm i grateful and 
lucky that they are doing that for me. I have an incredible network of friends. I just often look at it and I'm like, oh my God, I'm just so lucky. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's it's a balance. It's a balance yeah. of, of, of the two. Love and um, uh, criticism and admiration. Yeah. Yeah, that. Because I think you have to you have to like someone and respect them in order to say, hey, actually, I don't think this is right Mm -hmm. and expect it not to be an argument, but rather a discussion or like a conversation, you know, because we can say that and we do with people that we don't respect and don't like will be like, actually, that's wrong. But we're not Mm -hmm. expecting it to be, I think, a really constructive conversation. So you have to kind of love someone as a friend, as anything Mm -hmm. to, Mm -hmm. to have that conversation. Well, I think. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I, I think, I think also have the sort of um, confidence to uh, to know that where that comes from is actually originating from a place of love and yeah. and respect and protection, right? Yeah. It's not because they want to control you. I mean, I have cut friends. Let's put it this way: somebody <laughs> that is just like just trying to dominate or like stifle me or try to mold me into something I'm not or don't want to be. I I, I don't have time for that. I don't. Right. I, it, it might sound really no. harsh, but I'm like, Mm-mm. no, I mean, it is a privilege to be my friend. You're talking about patting me on your, uh, on your shoulder or whatever, not being too <laughs> British. I, I generally, I, I am, I, I will nurture my relationships with my friends, yeah. be it be it close friendships or, or loose friendships, I will respect them and love them. But you know, don't yeah, don't mess with me. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh heck um, yeah. No, I because you are you are a very you're good at being a friend. I was going to say you're a very good friend, and you are, but you're very good at being a friend. I think that's mm. something that I admire in you. I think that you really have that quality of very intentional friendship as like a verb, not a noun. And I think that's mm. really quite a lovely thing oh, and I thank think you oh you're welcome I'm glad um, you feel true. that I'm glad you're feeling it Cara <laughs> oh absolutely um and the, actually going kind of back to your book as well there's a part mm-hmm. in it where you talk about who we should be listening to and who who mm-hmm. to consider experts and one of the kind of key things to look for in someone in science is humility and the ability mm-hmm. to be challenged and to think about what they're talking about because all science is really about is hypotheses and testing and adjustment. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so like being really dogmatic about holding on to a certain point of view gets in mm-hmm. the way of science and it gets in the way of friendships and relationships as well. And that's something that I think the two have in common, like the search for truth is it's important in friendships as well, because you need to be able to trust them, what people are saying as, you know, the experts at the relationship or whatever it is. And humility is a really big part of that being able to say when you're wrong or being able to, to check things. If you're too scared to check whether or not you're right or wrong on something, I don't know, then like how strongly do you feel about your rightness, I guess. So, yeah. yeah. I, I guess you're right. The, the, um, you know, as, as we grow older or progress in life and different influences shape our thinking and our worldviews, uh, we change and that's okay. Yeah. And, and friendships change. Yeah. Um, and, and, I would love for more people to say, I don't know, or right. I'm sorry, I was wrong. Th- to not see that as weakness, but a, yeah. a, as a sign of strength and confidence to say, okay, I hear you. 
I'm not sure. Let me get back to you. Yeah. You know, you know, just just to say, I don't know. It's okay to say, I don't know, rather than make up an opinion or or, or fact that doesn't exist. I often like even in interviews, well, that's a good question. I don't have the answer for you. Or I I don't feel I have the authority to opine on that. Mm. You know, I often get asked questions. I'm like, I am not an expert in that field. I would be <laughs> damned to give you an opinion on that, really. I, yeah. You know, that is that is, that is is true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's something that mm-hmm. I actually found quite freeing when I read about it in like a parenting book, was that mm-hmm. when you're with your kids and you don't know, they ask you a question and you don't know, just tell them you don't know. Like, mm-hmm. we don't have to be all seeing, all knowing as parents. And in fact, that's not truthful. So mm-hmm. teaching kids how to find out information and the fact that, you know, we can't all know everything at all times, that's actually mm-hmm. a much better approach. And yeah, like just say, I don't mm. know. And that's so freeing because there's a lot of things I don't know. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, let's go research that. Let's go and figure that out together. Yeah. And yeah, and in life as well, like, just say you don't know. It's so, mm-hmm. it's like a life hack, people. You don't realize how, <laughs> how good that is. <laughs> and it's true, you know, like uh, I often say to our daughter, um, when she when she states something that she thinks is true, and I always say I, I say to her, Ava, do you know or do you think you know? Right. Because there's a there's a difference here, and we challenge her on her assertions and her thinking, mm. and and then if we both don't know, we'll go, okay, let's find out the answer to that. Let's research right. it to get her into that habit of checking herself, to, right. you know, and that that and the habit of making sure that when you make a statement publicly or the mm. confidence that you actually are sure. Yes. Um, and I, I hope that we can, this sort of way of critical thinking, uh, we can impart that into our children, younger generation, mm. that we can change. And we will need critical thinking in, in, in the age that we are upon, you know, where AI is going to be part of our lives more yeah. and more. It's so true. And we're all mm. wrong. Like we're all wrong mm. at times. It is so much better to accept being wrong. And I say this for myself as well, because it is really embarrassing and hard to be wrong, but we're all wrong at times. And we can't actually be right if we refuse to accept that sometimes we're wrong. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's an important part of life for kids, for adults, for poker players, like learn, grow, allow ourselves to actually get the right information. I, I think that's so, so key. And it's part of what I love about your book. It really is. And I, I hope so many people read this because I think that in poker, outside of poker, like there's just so many good things in there. So oh, thank I'm excited. You so much. I'm excited oh, for it to come out. Oh my God. Oh my thank you. It's mm. uh, taken a long time to write, but uh, I, I really do hope. Um, I mean, thank you for the enthusiasm for it. I genuinely loved writing it. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's great to, to hear that readers like yourself um, have enjoyed it too. A hundred percent. And I will tell you all about that in person in Las Vegas. Although when this comes out, it will be after that. And we will already have had our cocktail Um, (laughs) (laughs) and discussed it. But I really appreciate you coming on and and doing all of this kind of strange format with me and like letting us get to dive into the personality of Alex O'Brien a little bit deeper. Oh, no, I'm enjoying this. This is just you and I having a chat. (laughs) Exactly. 
I've forgotten that this is recorded now. Now you remind <laughs> me again. You know, uh, rookie only, mistake. <laughs> only reminded you because it's the end. So there. <laughs> oh, excellent. Well, it went by so fast. fast. I it know. really went fast. I, well, um, yeah, this was really a lot of fun. Um, I, I really enjoyed the way you challenged me to think deeper about certain hmm. questions. And um, yeah, I, I, it's just really, you know, all these questions and um, everybody has a different stance to and again it's what makes us makes humans so beautiful because the difference and the different shades and colors that they bring to life so oh god it's so philosophical i I only had two cups of coffee today what is going on (laughs) oh my goodness I love it. I love it. Thank you again. I thank everybody who is listening as well. I hope you all feel like you know the person behind the cards and the book even better now. Keep your eyes open for The Truth Detective coming out later this year. And join me next time on The Heart of Poker, sponsored by 80 Day Poker.